0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Good morning. Just a delight to be here with you. Been in here many times before, but always great fun, a great delight, and privilege to come back. My wife sends her apologies. She's in Atlanta with our daughter and grandkids. Uh, she really needed to stay there. Our daughter was going through a very difficult time. She needed a mom, so. Uh, that's where she is, but she sends her greetings and she sends her apologies. We have been on the field for 12 and a half years. like to thank you also for your support, for people on our team, for David and Marcia Jones. They were with us for about five years in London, then they had to come back to the States due to a problem with their visa. Uh, they have to spend a year here in the States, but as soon as that year elapses, they'll apply again. And uh, we hope to see them this summer back in London. We desperately need them. They left a huge hole when they left. Also like to thank you for your support for Franklin and Beth Beaver on our team. Uh, They're the latest people to join our team, and they are doing a wonderful job. They have just fit just like a glove. They are low maintenance. They just get the job done. No complaining. They work. They have a heart for immigrants. They have a heart for evangelism. You know, we are absolutely thrilled to have them on our team. You know, I got up this morning, I was getting ready to go, and I thought, well, maybe it would be a good thing to iron my shirt. It had a a lot of wrinkles in it. I've been traveling by myself and don't take care of my clothes the way my wife would. There was no iron around, so don't look at my shirt. (laughs) There are wrinkles on it. And whatever you do, don't tell my wife wife that I came to your service this morning with wrinkles in my shirt. (laughs) Had another problem getting ready this morning. You know, I I don't wear a white shirt in England. We don't wear shirts and ties normally on Sundays, so I don't wear a white shirt very often. I was putting on this white shirt And I had great difficulty getting this top button buttoned. It just didn't want to button. Worst case of spontaneous shrinkage I've ever seen in a shirt. (laughs) I just don't know what happened. You know, I don't know. You don't think it could be what I've eaten. You know, I've been on the missions conference circuit for two weeks. let, Let me tell you, eating on the missions conference circuit... It is absolutely brutal. So I arrived here on Friday night uh, to fellowship with the missions committee. They brought a meal in. And guess what? The eating here was no less brutal. Fried chicken at the wazoo, mashed potatoes, baked beans, and Marinelle's banana nut bread. It was brutal. You know, I trust you realize I'm making a joke. You know, I'm treated very well when I come here and love coming here, and we feel treated royally when we come here and visit. If you'd like to turn with me in a Bible to Matthew chapter 9, turn in a Bible or whatever handheld device you have, if you would do that, Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 38. You know, this is a missions conference, and I'm your conference speaker, and it's my job to get you excited about missions. It's my job to get you motivated to give to missions. I think we all know that we should be concerned for the lost. I think that we all know that we should live and work and pray that the gospel should go forth both here in Niceville and around the world. But you know something? I don't always find that in my heart. Sometimes I'm strangely unmotivated for missions. I know intellectually, I know theologically that people are lost. I know they're without hope, without Christ. And yet I just don't find the desire for missions, the desire to see the gospel go forth. We're going to look this morning at a famous missions passage. I'm going to put a little different twist on it this morning. Not only are we going to talk about what we should do for missions, but we're going to talk about how to get a heart to do it, how to get a heart of compassion for people who are lost, whether they're here or whether they are in Niceville. So let's listen to God's word. This is Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, going through verse 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Before we look at this This morning, brothers and sisters, let's bow again in prayer. Father, how conscious we are that we need your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you that he is the teacher that you have sent into our hearts. And we cry to you for his ministry today. We cry to you that he would cut the light on in our hearts. We pray that he would take what Jesus is saying here, that he would make it alive, that he would make it real to us. We pray that you would change us by your word. We think of the words of the prophet Isaiah who said that your word would not return void, but that your word would accomplish all for which you send it forth. And we boldly, specifically ask you for that today that as we consider your word that your word would be powerful in our hearts and accomplish your will and purpose in us as a people father we commit this time to you and we thank you for what you will do and we pray in jesus name amen you know you've all heard Missionary sermons from this passage before. We're going to very quickly look at three points from verses 37 and 38. You've all heard these points before, but they're good that we remind ourselves of them. And here they are. Number one, the harvest is plentiful. Number two, labors to preach the gospel are few. Number three, God sends out labors as we pray. Number one, the harvest is plentiful. There is a harvest to bring in. Jesus uses the metaphor of a harvest of a farmer bringing in a harvest and filling his barn with the harvest. And Jesus says of this harvest, it is plentiful. There are many people that God has chosen that he wants to bring into his kingdom. Jesus says the same thing, John four thirty five. Listen to the words of Jesus. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields. They are white to harvest. There is a harvest. It's large. It's plentiful. And this harvest is not just the lost in general. This is the lost that God has chosen to f- salvation. This is the lost that will respond to the preaching of the gospel. Changing the metaphor. This is John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let me tell you. We're missionaries. We're missionaries to Muslims. And you know something? From a human perspective, there's no reason why any Muslim should ever become a Christian. From childhood, from infancy, it's been drilled into their heads that Jesus is not God. That Jesus didn't die on the cross. And if they believe, that's a one-way ticket to hell for them. So, from a human perspective... There's no reason why a Muslim would believe, and yet they are. God, there in where we live, in the city in which we live, there are elect Muslims, Muslims that God has chosen to believe, who at hearing God's word will believe, and we've seen them believe. Despite all the obstacles, despite all the difficulties, we've seen faith in the hearts of Muslims. It's a wonderful thing to see. Let me tell you, it's, it's a wonderful encouragement to us as missionaries to Muslims to know that there is a harvest. There are the elect. God will call them. He will bring them into, the, into his kingdom as hard as it may appear from a human perspective. The harvest is plentiful it's a great harvest listen to revelation 7, 9. this is the vision of the throne of god in eternity after this i looked and behold a great harvest that no multitude could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is a plentiful harvest. But there's a problem that brings us to our second point the laborers are few. God's way of bringing in that harvest is laborers. God's way is laborers who will go and preach and share the gospel. This is Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? (coughs) And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To believe, savingly, someone must hear. The gospel preached. But to hear the gospel preached, what has got to happen? Someone must go. Someone must be sent so that people will, will hear the gospel. But there's a problem. What's the problem here that Jesus is talking about? He says, there are not enough laborers. He says, they are few. So he gives us the problem here but he also gives us the answer. What is Jesus' answer to this problem? There's not enough labors and not enough people going. Jesus had just said, there's a plentiful harvest. There are not enough labors. What would you think Jesus would say? You would think, if that's the problem, you would think Jesus would say, go as a laborer. Go and preach. Is that what Jesus says? No, it's not. This brings us to our third point. God sends out laborers as we pray. This is verse 38. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. You know, this is the way God has designed global evangelism. He's designed it so we must go as laborers and we must preach and we must share. We cooperate with God in this way, but He's designed it so that we cooperate with Him. In another way, we cooperate with Him in prayer. You know, God could have done it all without us. God could have had angels preach the message, He could have eliminated the weak link, which is you and me. But no, what does He say? You are going to cooperate with me in this task of global evangelism. Some of you are going to go, and all of you are going to pray. My success, the success of my team, the success of every missionary that you support is dependent not only on their work, it's dependent on you and your prayer for them. You know, we look at the news and we're shocked at some of the things we see. Sometimes we are shocked at some of the things we see uh, Muslim terrorists do. What can you do about it? Can you do anything about it that will have any effect? Can you do anything about it That will cause a change. You can. You can pray. If you pray for world evangelism, if you pray that missionaries will be sent forth, you are part of what God is doing around the world. That's right. You can be part of what God is doing in our city. You can be part of what God is doing in Europe. And let me tell you, he's doing colossal things. We've never seen a time like this when Muslims are more responsive to the gospel than right now. And particularly in Europe, we're seeing as the refugees come in, as the asylum seekers come in, let me tell you, they're flooding into the churches and their hearts are open. What can you do from right here? You can pray. Let me tell you, you have an integral part to play in the evangelism of the world. You have an integral part to play in the ministry of every missionary you support as you pray for them. You know, God is the one who sins out labors and he does it as we pray. God is the one who blesses the ministry of the gospel and he does it As you pray. But let me give you a little warning here. If you pray that God will send out missionaries, He may just send you. Or He may just send your son or your daughter. Or He may just send your grandson or your granddaughter. Three points we've looked at. The harvest is plentiful, and God uses us to cooperate with him. The laborers are few. He needs laborers. This is his way. And God sends out laborers as we pray. Is that a pretty good missionary sermon? Are those some good points for us to remember? Do we need to remember those things? Yes, we do. Those things are clear from the passage. They are true. We need to keep them in mind. You know, the application is here. There's a harvest. Let's pray. Let's be willing to go. Okay, we're supposed to do it. Let's just do it. Let me let you in on a little secret about myself. Just because I know what I'm supposed to do, very often that's not enough to get me to do it. I need more than just a knowledge of what to do. I need something in me giving me a desire to do it. You know, that's what I really want to talk to you about for the rest of this message right here. How do we get a heart for missions? How does the need of the world begin to tug at our heart And we have a desire to pray and we have a desire to give and we have a desire to go. I think we see this in verse 36. How did Jesus look at people? Listen to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, Jesus is our great example of compassion for the lost. Notice what it says here. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. There's a connection here between Jesus seeing and having compassion. We find that in three other places in the gospel. In Matthew 14, 14. This is talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We see it in Mark six thirty four. This is, again, the feeding of the 5,000. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. We see this with Jesus' interaction with the widow of Nain. You remember her son had died and Jesus came into the town and he intersected the the, the burial procession there and he saw this widow. Her son had died. It says when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Jesus saw he had compassion and he taught people. Jesus saw he had compassion and he healed people. Jesus saw and he had compassion and he fed them Jesus saw and he had compassion and he raised the dead What did Jesus see that elicited his compassion He uses a sheep metaphor This gives us window insight into how Jesus saw people. It says here that they were harassed. That means literally having torn skin. They were like sheep. They had been cut up by rocks and brambles and predators. They had been cut up. They had been beat up and been torn. He saw them like sheep that had been harassed, and he saw them like sheep that were helpless. It literally means thrown down, prone. They were knocked down and they couldn't get up. They were so weak, they couldn't help themselves. And the third thing he saw them was they were without shepherds. There was no one to help them you see what Jesus is doing? He's using this metaphor of a sheep and its helplessness and its condition as a picture for the spiritual condition of these people. You see, Jesus has eyes that sees into their hearts. His eyes go deeper than just their external circumstances. His eyes go deep into their hearts. He looks at their spiritual condition. And how does he see them spiritually? He sees them harassed. He sees them cut up, beaten, torn by sin and guilt and even by religion. He sees them spiritually. They are helpless. They have no power to do anything about their spiritual condition. He saw lost people. He realized they owe a sin debt that they could never pay. He saw them. They were blind spiritually. They couldn't see their sin. They couldn't see a Savior. They couldn't see a God of mercy and a God of grace. And he saw them without shepherds. But wait a minute, didn't these people have religious leaders? Didn't they have shepherds? Yes, they did, but they were not true shepherds. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they weren't telling people about the grace and mercy of God that comes from the God of the Bible. They were weighing them down with more and more religious rules. What was Jesus response as he looked into the hearts of these people and as he saw their spiritual condition it says that jesus had compassion you know i like the greek word for compassion splachna. it's the word not for your heart It's not talking about compassion in your heart. This is talking about compassion in your gut, compassion in your viscera. This is feeling something down deep. This is the way this image said that Jesus felt for these people. He felt deeply for these people. He looked, he saw their pains, and he felt their pain, and it was down deep in Jesus. English Standard Version said he had compassion. Amplified said he was moved with pity and sympathy. You know, I like to paraphrase from the message. It says, his heart broke. Jesus looked at these people. He looked at their spiritual condition. He saw them beaten up by sin and by religion. He saw their helplessness, their inability to do anything about it. He saw that they didn't have a shepherd. And as he saw them and he saw their need, his heart broke. As he looked at them, Jesus is a picture of God. This is what Jesus is like. This is what God is like. When you suffer, Jesus feels your pain. He feels deeply. He has compassion. When he sees you and when he sees your circumstances, when he sees the suffering that at times God calls you to go through, his heart is aching, his heart is breaking. Let me tell you, if there's anything that we underestimate, it is the compassion of Jesus for his people. Let me ask you, Is this your heart for the lost? Is this your response to the lost? Sad to say, this is not my heart. Where does this come from? How do we get this kind of heart? Let me go ahead and give you the application of this sermon. We just put it in a nutshell. We get compassion for the lost not so much by focusing on the lost and their plight, but rather by focusing on Jesus and his compassion for you and me in our sin and in our lostness. As we look at Jesus, as we see ourselves like these sheep, do you see yourself like these sheep? Do you see yourself as as beaten up and scarred by sin. Do you see yourself as helpless? You know, that that really is the truth. That is all of us, pre-conversion, before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We were just like these sheep. We were helpless. We were blind, and there was nothing we could do about it. We could never be good enough to earn salvation. Have you seen yourself like these sheep? And then have you seen Jesus having this kind of compassion for you? You know, this is a picture here of the compassion of Jesus' heart for the lost. You might ask this question, well, when did Jesus see me this see me this way? You know, right here he's looking at these specific people in this incidence in his lifetime. But when did he look at me me in this way? I'm going to tell you, before the foundation of the world, before you ever existed, Jesus looked at you in this way. In eternity past, before the creation of the world, in the council of redemption, sometimes we call it the covenant of redemption, God the Father chose a people. And God the Father gave these people to his son who would be his bride. And Jesus looked. Down the corridors of time, and he saw his people, yet uncreated, yet unformed. And he saw them. And he saw you and me. He saw us personally and when he saw us what did he see he saw our sin he saw our alienation from god he saw our guilt he saw our condemnation he saw that we were justly deserving god's wrath that we were eternally lost that we we were hell bound he looked down the corridors of time and he saw you and me and what was his response it was just like his response here it broke his heart and what did jesus say He said, I will go, I will suffer, I will die, I will save. Let me tell you, the way Jesus looked at these sheep here is the way he looked at you. And if you're a Christian today, because of the work of Christ, it's because Jesus looked at you before the creation of the world and his heart was filled with compassion and his heart was broken. Brothers and sisters, we need to revisit this. We need to revisit this every day. We need to put two things together here. Every day we need to realize what we would be without Christ, our lostness without Christ. And then we need to realize... His compassion and love for us. Let me tell you, when those two things are working in your heart, there's a byproduct. You know what that byproduct is? Compassion and love for others. Let me tell you, I've tried to work up mission zeal. I've tried to work up love for other people. Let me tell you frankly, I quit. I can't do it. I cannot manufacture those things in my heart. But how does it work as we see our sinfulness, as we see Jesus loving us in our sin, as we see his heart broken for our sin? What does that do to us? We find ourselves loving the world. We find ourselves loving other sinners like us. And we find ourselves willing to go. We find ourselves willing to pray, willing to give. Where does compassion for the lost come from? It comes from looking at Jesus. This is Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we don't have compassion for the lost... For the lost, it's because we've never felt the compassion of Jesus for us in our own lostness. Or put another way, how does the lostness of people break our hearts? It is as we see the heart of Jesus broken for our lostness. Let me tell you where I am. I don't have the compassion for the lost I should have. I don't have the compassion for the loss that I want to have. But I know where I want to be. And I think I know where I need to get it. When these two things work together in your hearts, the lostness and helplessness of ourselves apart from Christ and his heart of compassion for us, then we will see the harvest. Then we will go as labors. Then we will pray. Let me make one closing application right here. If Jesus had compassion on you, if his heart was broken for you as he looked at you in your lostness, do you think his compassion today is any less? Brothers and sisters, the one thing that we underestimate is the compassion of the heart of Jesus. If he loved you when when you were a sinner, how much more does he love you now? I want to ask you, what are you going through? This is not particularly a missions conference, but what are you going through right now? Are you suffering? I want to tell you, Jesus is our great high priest. And what does it tell us in the book of Hebrews? It says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What are you going through? What are you suffering? What is hard? What is difficult that you are facing today? Jesus is touched with that. And let me tell you, as he beholds your heart and what you're going through, his heart of compassion breaks for you. That's reality. That's truth. And the more we focus on that, the more compassionate we are to others in their lostness. Let's bow and pray. Father, we are overwhelmed as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are overwhelmed as we think of his love for people like us people who were sinners, people who were condemned, people who were hell-bound. And Father, we cannot thank you enough for him and for his great heart to suffer for his people. And now, Father, as we behold the world, as we see the world suffering under an oppressive weight and load of sin, oh, Lord, Make us like the Lord Jesus. May we know his compassion. Work that deeply in us. Work that deeply in my heart. Work that deeply in the heart of your people here at First Presbyterian Niceville. Thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.